This is the news from the Lord. Hello, America. This is Jeffrey Lord with another edition of the Did He Really Just Say That? The Word of the Lord. Let's talk Congresswoman Liz Cheney and the cult of the Republican establishment. I'll have more in a minute about that. But first, by now you've all heard me talk about my pillow, and now Mike has done it again by introducing his new my slippers. Mike has taken over two years to develop them. They're designed to wear indoors and outdoors all day long, and I do. They're made with my pillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue. They're made with quality leather suede. So for a limited time, Mike is offering 40% off his new My Slippers. The My Slippers are so comfortable that you will want to get some for the whole family. So go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code JEFF. You will also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets. Or call 800-606-1043 and use promo code Jeff. Now, here's the headline a while back at U.S. News and World Report on this story from Reuters. And you can cue the heavy breathing. The headline, exclusive, dozens of former Bush officials leave Republican Party, calling it Trump cult. And here was the headline on the same story from The Hill. Former Bush officials leave GOP over failure to disown Trump. Report. The U.S. News story from Reuters said in part this. Quote, dozens of Republicans in former President George W. Bush's administration are leaving the party, dismayed by a failure of many elected Republicans to disown Donald Trump after his false claims of election fraud sparked a deadly storming of the U.S. Capitol last month. These officials, the story goes on, some who served in the highest echelons of the Bush administration, said they had hoped that a Trump defeat would lead party leaders to move on from the former president and denounce his baseless claims that the November presidential election was stolen. Christopher Purcell, who worked in the Bush White House's communications office for six years, said roughly 60 to 70 former Bush officials have decided to leave the party or are cutting ties with it from conversations he has been having. The number is growing every day, Purcell said. Their defection from the Republican Party after a lifetime of service for many is another clear sign of how a growing intra-party conflict over Trump and his legacy is fracturing it. The party, this says, is currently caught between disaffected moderate Republicans and independents, disgusted by the hold Trump still has over elected officials and Trump's fervently loyal base. Without the enthusiastic support of both groups, the party will struggle to win national elections, according to polling, Republican officials, and strategists, unquote. And then, of course, there is Wyoming Republican Liz Cheney. The daughter of the Bush vice president routinely assailed in the day by the left as a cross between Hitler and Darth Vader, Liz Cheney has now done the same to former President Trump. Now she's a pawn of Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats, sitting on the show trial that is the Pelosi January 6th committee after Pelosi rejected the selections of House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy, that would be Jim Jordan and Jim Banks, as, uh, among others, asking the questions Pelosi herself doesn't want to answer about her role in leaving the Capitol unprotected on January 6th. Okay, full stop here. For those who came in late, this struggle has nothing, say again, nothing to do with Donald Trump. What this is all about is nothing more 
than the latest chapter in the eternal fight between conservatives and the GOP establishment, or as I call it, the cult of the GOP establishment. A classic example from the past is 1964. Arizona Senator Barry Goldwater, Mr. Conservative, is on the verge of being nominated, having won more than enough primaries and state conventions. Along the way, he defeated not one, but two GOP establishment Republican favorites, New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller and Pennsylvania Governor William Scranton. No one was more prominent in his opposition to the conservative Goldwater than Michigan Governor George Romney. Yes, indeed, the father of Mitt. As Goldwater's victory inched closer, Romney made a point of holding a press conference to denounce him. And he said this, this is GOP establishment favorite, quote, If Barry Goldwater's views deviate as indicated from the heritage of our party, I will do everything within my power to keep him from becoming the party's presidential candidate, unquote. <clears throat> when Goldwater finally was nominated, Romney refused to even sit on a platform with Goldwater. So deeply did he and his establishment pals loathe the Republican nominee. Suffice to say, now, now Senator Mitt Romney's loathing for conservatives who are Trumpers comes with a serious family pedigree. While Goldwater was defeated in the fall, Lyndon Johnson's liberal great society politics were at high tide and a horrified nation was still reeling from the assassination a year earlier of the very popular President John F. Kennedy. The Goldwater campaign famously launched the career of conservative actor Ronald Reagan. Reagan gave a late October televised speech called A Time for Choosing, and it made him a political rock star. Let's take a minute and listen to a little bit of it. I believe that the issues confronting us cross party lines. No nation in history has ever survived a tax burden that reached a third of its national income. Today, 37 cents out of every dollar earned in this country is the tax collector's share. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. And it's been said if we lose that war, and in so doing lose this way of freedom of ours, history will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the Founding Fathers. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. Man's old, old age dream, the ultimate in individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. In this vote harvesting time, they use terms like the great society, or as we were told, if we must accept a greater government activity in the affairs of the people. 
but they've been a little more explicit in the past. And among themselves, and all of the things I now will quote have appeared in print, these are not Republican accusations. For example, they have voices that say, the Cold War will end through our acceptance of a not undemocratic socialism. Another voice says the profit motive has become outmoded. It must be replaced by the incentives of the welfare state. Or our traditional system of individual freedom is incapable of solving the complex problems of the 20th century. That the Constitution is outmoded. And Senator Clark of Pennsylvania, another articulate spokesman, defines liberalism as meeting the material needs of the masses through the full power of centralized government. Well, I, for one, resent it when a representative of the people refers to you and me, the free men and women of this country, as the masses. This is a term we haven't applied to ourselves in America. But beyond that, the full power of centralized government, this was the very thing the Founding Fathers sought to minimize. They knew that governments don't control things. A government can't control the economy without controlling people. And they know when a government sets out to do that, it must use force and coercion to achieve its purpose. They also knew those founding fathers that outside of its legitimate functions, government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. Yet any time you and I question the schemes of the do-gooders, we're denounced as being against their humanitarian goals. They say we're always against things, we're never for anything. Well, the trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant, it's just that they know so much that isn't so. Now, Two years later, overcoming the GOP establishment's staunch opposition, Reagan was nominated and elected governor of California. He was predicted by the establishment to lose in a landslide. Instead, he won in a million-vote landslide, immediately becoming a prospective future nominee for president. And the GOP establishment's reaction to the idea of Reagan as a GOP presidential nominee not to mention the liberal media's reaction. Let me run through some of the things that were said in the day about Ronald Reagan and his potential as a presidential candidate. The Republican Rip-On Society, quote, the nomination of Ronald Reagan would McGovernize the Republican Party, unquote. Republican Vice President Nelson Rockefeller, Reagan is, quote, a minority of a minority who has been taking some extreme positions, unquote. New York's Republican Senator Jacob Javits, Quote, Reagan's positions are so extreme that they would alter our country's <clears throat> very economic and social structure and our place in the world to such a degree as to make our country's place at home and abroad as we know it a thing of the past, unquote. <clears throat> Excuse me. Illinois Republican Senator Charles Perse Percy said Reagan's candidacy was, quote, foolhardy, unquote, and would lead to a, quote, crushing defeat for the Republican Party. It could signal the beginning of the end of our party as an effective force in American political life, unquote. And then there was former President Gerald Ford. I hear more and more often, said Ford, that we don't want, can't afford to have a replay of 1964. If the Republican Party nominates Ronald Reagan, it would be an impossible situation because Reagan is perceived as a most conservative Republican. A very conservative Republican can't win in a national election, unquote. Asked if that meant that Ford thought Reagan can't win, period, he replied, that's right. And the Times story went on to observe that Ford thought Mr. Reagan would be a sure loser in November and that Reagan held extreme and too simple views. I might add as a note here, when Gerald Ford uh, ran against Ronald Reagan in 1976 for the nomination, he made these arguments. Ford won the nomination and went on to lose to Jimmy Carter in the fall. 
and four years later, Ronald Reagan ran again and was elected in a 44-state landslide, and four years after that, re-elected in a 49-state landslide. But that was just the GOP establishment. Let me recall what the media of the day was saying about Ronald Reagan, the New York Times. Reagan's candidacy is patently ridiculous. The New York Times again. The astonishing thing is that this amusing but frivolous Reagan fantasy is taken so seriously by the news media, and particularly by President, former President Ford. It makes a lot of news, but it doesn't make much sense. The New Republic. Ronald Reagan, to me, is still the posturing, essentially mindless and totally unconvincing candy man that he's been, in my opinion, ever since I watched his first try for the Republican nomination evaporate in Miami in 1968. The New Republic again. Reagan is Goldwater revisited. He's a divisive factor in the party. Harper's Magazine says, quote, that he should be regarded as a serious candidate for president is a shame and an embarrassment for the country at large to swallow, unquote. The Chicago Daily News, quote, the trouble with Reagan, of course, is that his positions on the major issues are cunningly phrased nonsense, irrationality conceived, and hair-raising in their potential mischief. Here comes Barry Goldwater again, only more so, and at this stage, another such debacle could sink the GOP so deep it might never recover, unquote. And then Time Magazine. Quote, Republicans now must decide whether he represents a conservative wave of the future or is just another Barry Goldwater calling on the party to mount a hopeless crusade against the 20th century, unquote. Newsweek, Ronald Reagan is a man whose mind and nerve and mediagenic style have never been tested in presidential politics and may not be adequate to the trial. The conservative National Review, no less, said Reagan's image remains inchoate. At the outside of his campaign, his image is largely that of the role-playing actor, pleasant on stage but ill-equipped for the real world beyond the footlights. Reagan does not yet project the presidential image. He is not seen as a serious man, unquote. And I would remind, they are talking about the man who won the Cold War. The Manchester Union Leader, also a conservative uh, publication. Reagan lacks the charisma and conviction needed to win. And last but not least, Pravda the official newspaper of the Soviet Union. Ronald Reagan is a dinosaur from the Cold War. It is strange that there are still fish in the sea that are tempered by this putrid bait, unquote. Does this sound familiar? Of course it does. What all these never-Trumpers of today have exactly in common with the never-Reagan establishment of years ago is their despising not just the man himself, but the voting base that both Reagan and Trump voters represented. Social class, not principle, was and remains the be-all and end-all for establishment Republicans. In his memoirs, my old boss, Ed Rollins, the Reagan campaign manager in his 1984 landslide re-election victory, wrote this of Reagan's decision to form a unity ticket in 1980 with the very establishment George H.W. Bush, whom Reagan had defeated in the 1980 primaries. What I didn't realize at the time, Ed Rollins wrote, was that we just cut the fuse on our own revolution. The conservatives had won, but then surrendered the future back to the Eastern establishment moderates. In the end, Ronald Reagan had won the battle and handed his sword to the losers. At the very outset of the revolution, the seeds had been sown for its undoing, unquote. That future did sadly arrive. To be clear, George H.W. Bush was a genuine American hero and a thoroughly kind and decent man, but he was a GOP establishment man to his core. And the seeds Ronald, that Ed Rollins mentions produced not only both Bushes, but also a McCain and another Romney. 
And this establishment takeover of the GOP began immediately after the first George Bush, running on Reagan's record, defeated the left-wing Massachusetts Governor Michael Dukakis, the Democratic nominee, in 1988. In his book, The Age of Reagan, The Conservative Counter-Revolution, 1980-1989, Reagan biographer Stephen F. Hayward wrote of exactly how this worked with Bush's election victory secured. Quote, But the first order of business for the Bush transition was turning out all of the Reaganites as quickly as possible. It was said of Bush appointees that, unlike Reaganites, they had mortgages rather than ideologies. Heritage founder... Heritage Foundation co-founder Paul Weirich said that he had always feared that the election of Bush meant the arrival of country club Republicans who couldn't wait for the end of the Reagan administration. Reagan's Secretary of State George Shultz's top aide at the State Department, Charles Hill, recalled, it was suddenly clear that this would be an adversarial transition. The new people, the Bush people, were not friendly. The signals were, get out of here as fast as you can. Newt Gingrich cautioned, we are not Bush's movement, unquote. 32 years later, in 2021, nothing has changed. All those headlined dozens of former Bush officials who leave the Republican Party calling it a Trump cult, not to mention the Trump-hating Liz Cheney, are nothing more or less than the latest edition of establishment Republicans who despise working Americans they see as so downscale as to be absolutely unworthy of their party. In fact, there is a cult inside the GOP. It is the cult of the GOP establishment. As the Trump revolution, like the Reagan revolution before it, expands the party's base, bringing in more African-Americans, Hispanics, blue-collar workers, and others, one can only feel less than sorry at the departure of the GOP establishment's members. Hopefully, the door doesn't hit them too hard on the way out. This is Jeffrey Lord. Stop by my website, thejeffreylord.com, and thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.